You might feel lucky when you stumble upon the perfect campground, but there's good reason why the place appears abandoned. Whoever was there before was running away from something. Welcome to Camping Horrors, the podcast where real people send me their scariest hiking and camping experiences, and I narrate them. I'm your host, Darkness Prevails. Today's episode features a demon from the woods, a cabin birthday party gone horribly wrong, and more. If you like what you hear, leave Camping Horrors a rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. For more scary stories read by me, check out Unexplained Encounters and Tales from the Break Room on your favorite podcast app, or just go to eeriecast.com. Thank you. If you want me to narrate your scary camping or hiking story, share it with us at darkstories.org. Now, throw a log on the fire, because the night is still young. Unexplained Sounds at an Abandoned Campground On a muggy late summer afternoon in Georgia, my husband, our six-year-old son, and I decided to go camping. Instead of opting for a paid camping ground, we sought something a little more off-road. We'd heard about an old camping site that had been closed down, no longer attended or maintained. Curious, we decided to check it out. Upon arrival, we found the gate to the old check-in booth chained shut. This meant we'd have to park our car in the woodline and carry our belongings in on foot. After a short walk, we began to spot old campsites, overgrown picnic tables, fire pits, etc. We continued searching for a spot near the pond, so we kept walking until we found the perfect spot. It was about a 15-minute trek from our car. That evening was simple, and before long our son was asleep, while my husband and I sat by the fire, no one around for miles. The silence was a bit overwhelming, but suddenly it was interrupted when we heard about six loud, heavy bipedal steps coming from the water's edge. It was like the sound of someone stepping out of an inner tube in the water, then taking several heavy steps onto shore. My immediate thought was that a park ranger or police officer had found our car, located the campsite, and was about to ask us to leave right away. Had the sound resembled any animal, such as a deer, muskrat, beaver, or bear, even though we shouldn't have bears in our region, I believe we'd have instinctively identified the approaching animal. This was heavy though, deliberate, more intimidating than any animal could be. My husband, a tough guy, not easily rattled, sprang to his feet, feeling defensive and genuinely afraid. My blood ran ice cold. We shone our flashlights into the woods, instinctively grabbing a nearby pocket knife and stick. We waited in silence for whoever it was to approach. Strangely, no officer showed up announcing their presence. No deer darted in front of us. Just silence. That's when true terror set in. I assumed that someone with malicious intent was hiding and waiting for the right moment to attack. I quivered out a shaky, hello? Just like in horror films right before a gruesome attack, I'd never felt such primal fear. Still, there was only silence. 
But then, we heard branches cracking, not on the ground, but overhead, all around us, rapidly and loudly. Pine cones fell to the ground, echoing the snapping branches. It sounded as if a hundred squirrels had suddenly ascended the trees, going mad. And yet, no matter where we shone our lights, we saw nothing. The noises continued for what felt like an eternity. We stood there petrified, unable to do anything but listen and wait for any sign of movement. It was as though we were being toyed with, sounds coming from above, below, in the trees, in the water, from every direction. No animal sounds, no growls, grunts, or squeaks. The noises and their patterns were not natural, normal, nor recognizable. I felt completely cornered. All I wanted was to wake our child, hold him in my arms, abandon our belongings, and sprint right back to the car as fast as possible. However, we were a good 15-minute walk from the car. I could hardly move, let alone run into the dark woods with this unknown presence. It all became a blur, but I remember we went back to the tent, huddling inside with our son, waiting for whatever would happen next. The noises kept going, loudly surrounding us without a break. Sometimes they would be nearby, other times far, sometimes loud in the water, then in the trees. What kind of creature or entity could be on land and in the water within seconds? What could be so loud yet remain unseen or be present in so many places simultaneously? It was becoming maddening. But that was the extent of it. Terrifying, unexplained sounds. We never slept, waiting for daylight to make our escape. Shortly after sunrise, the noises ceased entirely. Finally, we went down to the waterside, looking for footprints or other evidence of what could have caused all those sounds. We found one puzzling thing, a large tree trunk from a fallen tree, which appeared to have been stabbed or shredded, with no natural patterns or signs of wildlife. It was like the tree had been repeatedly stabbed and gouged with a very large knife, leaving deep gashes and splinters. These cuts were fresh, and they definitely hadn't been there the previous day. In the light of day, we left, still without any idea of what that had been that caused those sounds in the woods. Perhaps there's a reason they closed that campground. Years later, it still baffles me. I've been unable to rationalize or explain it away. It was something very, I'll just say, unnatural. How a birthday party can go wrong. From Gianna. This happened about three years ago. I'm 17 now, but still, I was traumatized after this happened on my birthday. I live in a small town in New Jersey. I had about nine friends. I was about to turn 15, and I was getting ready for my birthday party. I was very excited. I decided I wanted to have it at a cabin in the woods. So my mother arranged for us to have a small cabin in the middle of the woods, where we'd have access to a kitchen, a living room with a TV, 
three bedrooms and a bathroom. It was going to be so cozy and peaceful. My mom helped with the decorations before my friends could arrive. We hung balloons, streamers, and string lights to give it all cottagecore vibes. By the time we finished putting up the decorations, I heard knocks at the door. I went to get it. My cousins and friends had arrived. As soon as I saw my best friend Ernesto, I gave him a tight hug, then welcomed them all inside, saying, you're all just in time. As soon as we got settled, mom ordered up some pizza. After chowing down, we all huddled together, telling stories. Sometime later, my mom told me she had to go into town, but she was a bit hesitant, worried about leaving us all here alone. But I assured her that we were all older and that we could take care of ourselves. I promised her I would check all the doors and windows, making sure everything was locked down. Once my mom was convinced, she left, and we all went out to start a fire, cooking up some s'mores. We were having a great time, telling some scary stories by the campfire. One of my friends, Jessica, started to tell this true crime story about some sort of female serial murderer. We were laughing and giggling, hiding the fact that we were actually a bit scared. But then Ben told us that his mom and dad got a divorce. We felt horrible for him. We asked what happened. He said they decided to get the divorce after he came out as gay, while his mom was supportive. His dad wasn't so much. After they split, his dad constantly harassed him and his mom. His mother got to the point where she had to file a restraining order against his dad. As Ben explained the story to us, he was nearly crying. Just in case, we asked him what his father looked like. He showed us a photo. A little while later, after the attention settled down, we began to hear loud crunching noises coming from the woods. Keep in mind, we were in the middle of nowhere, and the next neighbor to the cabin was like a mile away or more. Ernesto gasped. What the heck was that? I answered in as calm a voice as I could muster. Maybe an animal. Alan, the bravest of our group, said, I don't think so. I've never heard an animal walk around like that before. It sounds like a person. I started to agree with Alan. It really did sound like two legs walking around, not four. We tried to focus again on making s'mores, but that's when my cousin Ruth began telling another story. We were so interested in the story that we forgot about that sound. Until we heard it again, it sounded much closer now. We all got creeped out to the point we had to go back inside. We all power walked towards the cabin. As soon as we all got back in, I locked the doors behind us, making sure the deadbolt was locked in tight. As soon as we all got inside, we decided we should watch a show before bed. We decided on some anime on Netflix. After watching a straight season of something, we all decided to go to bed. Six of us got the beds upstairs and downstairs, while the rest of us four slept in the living room. That included me, Ernesto, Jessica, and Ryan. We slept downstairs in the living room. Before going our separate ways, we wished each other good night. Then we headed to bed. My three other friends already went to sleep while I was still on my phone, 
scrolling through Instagram. Eventually, I felt my eyes getting heavy. Once I felt a bit too tired, I plugged my phone into the charger, and I drifted off to sleep. I may have been asleep for just a few minutes, when loud banging at the door woke me up. All four of us were awake. One of us had to see who was at the door, so I decided to be the one to check it out. I think all of our hearts were pounding. This cabin was a bit old. It didn't have a peephole, so I couldn't see who or what it was through the door. The rest of us decided not to wake up the other friends, as we didn't want to creep them out. We were all positive, or just hoping, it was probably just an animal or a stray dog. But the direction of the sound changed, moving towards the window, specifically the living room window. Someone began tapping very hard on the window pane. I got down on my hands and knees, carefully going to look out that window. I pulled back the drapes just a little bit so I could see outside. What I saw made my body freeze up. I was face to face with a very tall man who was probably in his 50s. He was shirtless in nothing but boxer shorts. He wasn't even wearing shoes or socks. He was holding what appeared to be a hunting rifle in one of his hands. The moment he saw me, he smiled this creepy, big smile. He also waved at me, as if he was taunting me. He pointed at the front door then, as if telling me to let him inside. But right away, I recognized who he was. It was Ben's dad, from the photo that he showed us. I dropped the curtain back, and ran to my cousins and friends downstairs. I told them what I saw, and who was outside. They were all just as freaked out as I was. We all ran up and went to get the rest of our friends upstairs. Ernesto, Ryan, and I went to wake up Alan and Tim in the room next to Kai and Ben's room. We told them there was a crazy man outside the window. They were scared then too. When I said crazy man, they all jolted awake, now fully on guard. When Kai and Ben asked who was outside, I was hesitant to say but eventually I relented. Ben, I'm pretty sure it's your dad. I saw Ben's face change into a horrified expression, and I saw that there were tears filling up in his eyes. He started to have a meltdown. Jessica and Tim tried to comfort him, including Kai. Some of them were a bit skeptical, asking me if I wasn't dreaming. I assured them I was fully awake and aware of what I saw. The moment I said that, we heard a loud, hard bang on the door, along with a voice from Ben's dad, saying, Let me in, kids. We were all so scared, standing still, not knowing what we should do. One of us, or some of us, had to go downstairs to get one of the phones to call the police. We decided it would be best to go down as a group. Ben's psycho of a father already knew that we were in the cabin, but we didn't want to let him know our location within the cabin. Tim went to grab his phone. You're probably wondering, did we look for weapons to defend ourselves? Well, yes, that's exactly what we did. The rest of us were ransacking the closet, looking for something, anything to defend ourselves with. Jessica and Ruth took out two chopping knives from the kitchen 
Ben got some pepper spray he found in his bag. I found a metal bat, and Ernesto grabbed a pocket knife from his back pocket. Tim, who was tasked to call the police, said that the service was spotty and that he was having trouble getting through. I told him to hold on, that I would check my phone. Before I could even get to the living room, we heard a loud banging from the front door again. Ben's dad was trying to kick it down. After several more kicks, he kicked a big hole in the door and screamed he was going to kill all of us. The rest of my friends were all screaming. Before he could unlock the door, I ran over and approached him. I sprayed him in the eyes and nose with the pepper spray we had. His dad jumped back and screamed in pain, yelling all sorts of curses. Ben swung open the door and yelled at me. Gianna hit him! I picked up the metal bat, swinging as hard as I could on his dad's head. His psycho dad fell on the ground then, not moving. We all ran back upstairs. We all worked together to barricade the door to one of the bedrooms. I remembered that Tim still had his phone. I asked to let me see it so I could dial 911. Luckily, that call managed to get through. I told them our situation, our location, and how many of us there were. The operator told us to stay in that barricaded room until the police arrived, that they would send a few officers to the scene. We hung up the call, but we realized that the door was so damaged that the psycho could now come in and nothing was stopping him. We sat in that room for what felt like an eternity until we heard sirens in the distance and we could see flashing lights from outside the cabin. There were about five police cars outside. Luckily, the sicko was still unconscious when police arrived. They took him away in handcuffs. When he woke up, he found himself in a cop car. The police then greeted us, asking us to give a statement. We told them everything we knew, everything that happened. They made sure we weren't injured. We were all untouched, luckily, but quite traumatized about what happened. It left us very shaken up, and we all wanted to go home. The cops stayed with us at the cabin until our parents came and picked us all up. Like I said in the beginning of the story, we live in a small town, and it didn't take us long for us to hear the news. We found out that Ben's father had somehow found out that I invited Ben to my birthday party at the cabin, and he had actually been planning to kill him and all of us. According to the police report, he was also hyped up on illegal substances when he tried to break into the cabin. Today, Ben has now been seeing his therapist, but I thank him and myself that day. If it wasn't for our quick thinking and reactions, we wouldn't be alive, and I'm so glad we made it out of those woods in one piece. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. 
Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Beware of Joker From Sinister Sadie It happened back in the 90s. I was 15 a freshman in high school. My friends and I decided to go camping for a night out at a friend's parents' property, the Creek House, as we called it. In those days, we didn't really hang out in the house. We mostly just camped in the creek bed on the edge of the woods. It was a mixed group of about five or seven guys and as many girls. We were a pretty tight-knit group of kids who were more into partying than we were with sports. But I was sober on this occasion, which was a pretty rare thing in my teen years. Someone had decided to bring the Ouija board camping. I don't remember whose board it was exactly, but it was the one that made the rounds with us at various hangouts. It was pretty late that night, and we decided to bring it out. All the girls were already asleep, except me and a girl named Shannon. There was also a couple of guys that were still awake but they weren't paying any attention to Shannon and I, as they were all in Trip City with their buddy LSD. Shannon and I lay down on our stomachs on a couple sleeping bags by the fire and got the board out. We asked it if anyone was out here, and we quickly got a reply. The planchette spelled out J-O-K-E-R. Oh, hey, Joker, I said out loud. What's going on? The planchette moved again. It spelled out. K-I-L-L-Y-O-U. Kill you. Being idiots, probably thinking the other was moving the planchette the whole time to prank the other, we didn't take the warning seriously. Instead, I decided it would be a good idea to taunt the supposed entity. Oh yeah, I said. And how do you plan to kill us? Shannon and I laughed. The planchette moved. T-R-E-E. -E. What? How are you going to kill me with a tree? I scoffed. No sooner had those words left my mouth, part of a branch from a large oak tree above us came crashing down and landed vertically like a stake between my legs. We screamed, but we didn't stop playing there. Instead, we calmed down and moved to the other side of the fire, laying back down. Yeah, it was scary, but we just had confirmation that perhaps this was real. We felt compelled to keep going. Stupidly, I asked, Well, that didn't work. Now how are you going to kill me? The entity spelled out then, F. I. R. E. As soon as we read the word aloud, 
The campfire nearby grew and popped, flames rushing from out of the fire towards us. That was enough for us to say goodbye to the entity, leaving that Ouija board alone for the rest of the night. But my story doesn't end there, because Joker followed me. Later that summer, my sister and I were hanging out in the back room slash living quarters of our stepfather's shop with our friends, Mandy and Linda. We had two sets of bunk beds in there with a stepladder to get into the top bunks and a bare concrete floor below. It was the afternoon, and Mandy brought out the board. We asked if anyone was there. We got a reply of yes, so we decided to ask a few questions. Just silly things teenage girls ask. Then eventually, one of us asked who we were speaking to. My heart raced when it spelled out Joker. Playing confident, I said aloud, Oh, you again? Still trying to kill me, huh? The entity pointed to yes. I wasn't messing around this time, and I immediately went to goodbye. That was the end of the session. We put it away and went outside to hang out with some other friends. That evening, my sister went home with her mom because she had gotten into trouble over something, so it was just me staying in the back room on the bunk beds alone. I was dozing off to sleep when I suddenly was jolted wide awake. I was terrified when I saw them. Spiders. Hundreds of spiders had built webs from the head of the bed to the foot completely encasing the top bunk I was on, and one was coming down from the ceiling towards my face. I quickly rolled to my side and out of the bed, forgetting I was on the top bunk. Somehow my reflexes took over, and I was able to catch myself just before I hit my head on the stepladder. I switched on the lights in a hurry, and when I looked back, there was nothing there. Not a single thing. If I hadn't caught myself falling out of that bed, I could have broken my neck on the stepladder, and no one would have known until morning. I refuse to even be around Ouija boards to this day. Be careful taunting those that reside beyond the veil of our world. My hunting experience was one to remember. From Null. This all happened back when I was 15 years old. I'm 18 now, but I've never shared this with anyone before. My family and I have always been active hunters, and we do it every year. We harvest our normal animals, deer, rabbit, squirrel, hog, and I've always been the one who hunts the hogs. The best time to hunt hogs is at night, and it's perfectly legal. Well, one night I was in our blind, hunting hogs. I saw a deer and a few raccoons. I watched them eat for about 15 minutes. Then the deer left, and the raccoons were all that was left. I was starting to get bored, when all of a sudden, the raccoons ran off, like something had scared them. I thought maybe an owl had landed nearby, startling them. But I also noticed it was quiet. A little too quiet. I mean, it was completely silent. This was very unusual and creepy. 
I had my night vision scope, so I started to move my 4570 rifle around as to scan the woods. I probably should have mentioned this earlier, but there's a creek that's about six to seven feet deep within our shooting lane. We essentially use it as a berm for our fired rounds in case the bullet goes all the way through the animal. As I scanned the area around me, I come across the creek, but something's off about it because I could see eye shine. I get my hopes up, assuming that it's a hog, so I get ready to fire. As I do, the thing I'm looking at starts crawling up the side of the creek with hands and a human-like head. I then watch it get to the top of the creek and begin to walk to the corn we had set out for the hogs. This thing had the body of a man, but it was covered in fur. I instantly knew what I must be looking at, a Bigfoot. Now being the fearless 15-year-old I was back then, I readied myself and got into shooting position. I aimed for its chest and started to pull the trigger. Boom. The rifle fired. My ears rang. I was excited. No way, I thought. Did I just bag evidence of a Bigfoot? But over the ringing in my ears, I heard and felt a gut-wrenching roar. I looked through the scope again and saw nothing. I decided to wait until morning to see if I had hit anything. Morning came, and I left the blind to investigate what damage I'd done. I went over to where I'd shot. I found traces of blood. I followed the trail, which seemed to go on forever. For all of two hours, I followed it. But then, I heard the roar again. And when it stopped, I heard something hard hit the ground. Again, then again, and again. Something was throwing things at me. Not just things, though. Rocks. Huge rocks. I quickly turned around and left the woods before one of those huge rocks crushed my skull. It took me an hour to get back, but I was terrified. I still hunt, but now I use an AR-15. It holds more than the seven-round tube in my 4570. But I don't hunt at night anymore. Thank you for stopping by at our little campsite here at Camping Horrors. To hear your story on the show, send it to us for narration at darkstories.org. For more narrations from me, you can catch me on my other podcasts, Unexplained Encounters, and Tales from the Break Room on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Or you can go to eeriecast.com for those and even more terrifying podcasts. Follow me on X, formerly Twitter, at Dark Prevails, and be sure to leave Camping Horrors a rating and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Now then, I'll see you soon when the campfire blazes once again.